message for today is, uh, where are the fathers? Um, you may or may not realize or have noticed that there's a, there's a fatherhood, a fatherless epidemic in our society that is growing and spreading like a viral pandemic, worse than COVID. Um, but what we need to know is that God has called the church to address that. The church is the instrument, the tool in God's hands for fixing this fatherless problem. And so I, my sermon today is in two parts. For the first part, I want to challenge and inspire and light a fire under the church, especially the men in the church, to be fathers and not just physical fathers but spiritual fathers. And then for the second part, I want to speak to those who feel the need of a father for whatever reason. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to end in prayer today. So I want to inspire, challenge, and encourage those three things today. Um, first, I want to give you a few statistics. And this is these are not to discourage you and not to make you feel less than if you are a part of these statistics. Not in any way, it's just to, this is part of the challenge. Like, you can't rise to the occasion, you can't meet a challenge, you can't answer the, fulfill the mission until you know what the issue is, right? Until you know there's a war. And so, just quickly, some statistics, according to the Paul Anderson Youth Home website, uh, they say that fatherlessness is the single greatest predictor of incarceration. Fatherlessness. In fact... I've heard, and I may have said this here before, I don't remember who said it, but um, a prison chaplain, I believe, um, made the observation that on Mother's Day in prisons, the, the inmates line up at the phone to make a call to their mom. There's a long line. But on Father's Day, there's no one. There's, there's not really any lines. And that's, that's very telling of this, uh, because I guess the fathers themselves are, themselves are in incarcerated as well as their fatherless youth. Um, Burgess Owens said, uh, he, he gave these statistics, approximately 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, therefore leading to 25% of our youth growing up without a father in the home, 25%. This staggering statistic has not only destroyed the nuclear family, but has devastated communities across the nation. For example, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent household. Furthermore, research indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. Now, I gotta say this, that's the devil's statistic. God can change that, and if you have Christ in your life, if you have God in your life, that you are exempt. That does not apply to you. You can beat the odds, and you will by the power of Jesus Christ and by the love of the Heavenly Father. So you do not have to be defined by a statistic today. You do not have to succumb to a statistic. You do not have to identify your life by a statistic regarding fatherlessness. If you know God is your Heavenly Father, that, is not, that does not apply to you. You are on the winning side. 
In fact, Jesus, it's very possible that Jesus was raised without a father. The last, the last recording of a mention of, of Joseph the carpenter being there was when Jesus was 12. Remember, he, he, he left the, his parents on this trip, and he, they found him in the temple teaching the rabbis. And it says, his, Mary said to him, your father and I have been worried sick. Where have you been? And he said, recognizing who his true father is, don't you know that I had to be about my father's business? My father's business. It's the last mention of Joseph. Jesus was 12 years old. So could it be that Jesus had to go through, listen, Jesus Christ had to go through possibly his teenage and adolescent years without the arms of a heaven, of a earthly father around him. How did he do it? How did he make it? How did he end up being the most successful human being who has ever lived? The most secure, most confident, most courageous, most loving and kind, most perfect human being. How did he do that without an earthly father? He knew who his real father was. And he was fueled by, his identity was based on the love of his heavenly father. That's all he needed. That's what he needed. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, don't put it up there yet, Sarah, because it's going to kind of be a surprise, okay? It, it, it would be a spoiler if you put it up there now, but I, I appreciate your, your <laughs> uh, deafness at the computer. So let me tell you about the church of Corinth. Corinth. That's where we get the, book, the letters to, to, the, to the Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. The church at Cor Corinth was kind of like the Amsterdam or the Ithaca or the Portland, Oregon of the ancient world, right, of, of ancient Greece, okay? It was a major import trade city in ancient Greece. Lots of idolatry, lots of immorality, priests and temple prostitutes, all kinds of garbage going on, and it had infiltrated into the church. The church at Corinth, was the, it was a hot mess. It was in big trouble. If you read Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians, to the Corinthians, basically they had, uh, they had factions going on in the church and splits and divisions and partisanship. And um, they were infighting. They were dragging each other within the congregation to court. But the worst thing was the sexual immorality in the church. It was so bad that Paul said to them, the, pe the sinners outside this church don't sin as bad as you do because one of you has his father's wife. That was the hot mess that was the Corinthian church. And Paul diagnosed their problem, and it, this is how he did it. He said, this is your problem. And he could have said, you guys need more instruction. You need more classes and groups and programs, and those things are important. And yes, we do, actually. We need a lot of help. <laughs> he could have said that. You need more teachers, more instruction on how to be. But what he actually said, and now you can put it up, Sarah, 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul said, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. That was his diagnosis to a church in trouble, to a people in trouble. You don't have a lot of fathers. A lot of good teaching, great preaching, great sermons. 
great YouTube videos, great podcasts, great programs. Not a lot of fathers. Very interesting, isn't it? The Bible is full of spiritual fathers. Kind of when you, when you just zoom out and you look at the word of God and, and you see that the way the kingdom of God operates, what you see is a spiritual mentorship program, but it's more than mentorship because a mentorship can choose you and decide, okay, I'm done. Or you can choose a mentor and decide, yeah, I'm done. This isn't working. Father has no choice. Father's in it for blood, for life. You can't be an unfather, right? Once a father, always a father, whether you like it or not. And so the idea in the kingdom of God is that there would be spiritual fathers as well as physical fathers that would take ownership of that God-given role and say, I'm going to rise up and do this thing, and I'm going to reproduce and make more in kind, but first I better get my life right and start acting and living like Jesus so that I can produce more of my kind. So the Bible is full of spiritual fathers, full of men who may not have had a spiritual father, and so God gave them one. God called spiritual fathers for them. We see this in the relationship between Joshua and Moses. Moses was obviously a spiritual father to about six million people, and yet he took the time to take Joshua under his wing and be a father to him so that Joshua would become the one to lead the people into the promised land. We have Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel, as a father to David. Of course David needed a father. Look at Jesse. Jesse forgot about him, didn't even call him in from the field to line him up before uh, the prophet Samuel, and yet he was called to be king, and and David's father so undervalued him, just completely disregarded him. It was like he forgot he was there. So God gave him Moses, who became a spiritual father to David. And then we have Eli, a spiritual father to Samuel, which is interesting because Eli had failed miserably with his own sons. They ended up dragging temple prostitutes into the tabernacle. I mean, he was a terrible father, but then in his older age, he had another chance, and God brought him this youngster, Samuel. You never know when God's going to bring a Samuel into your life. Samuel wakes up one night, comes into Eli's room. Maybe he called him dad. I don't know. He was an old man. Grandpa. Grandpa Eli. I keep hearing this voice calling me. What is it? Oh, that's the voice of God. Maybe it's the first time Eli had ever bothered. It kind of seems like it when you read the story. (laughs) Oh, yeah, about that. (laughs) I never told you. (laughs) You ever hear this voice? probably God, and this is how you should answer. Thankfully, Eli stepped up, finally. He was old and he had failed with his own kids, but he finally stepped up with someone else's kid who had been sent to live with him. Thank God he stepped up. Samuel became one of the greatest prophets Israel ever had, and he himself became a spiritual father to David. You see? How this perpetuates itself, that's God's idea. 
Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was a spiritual father to Elisha, who became his successor. Paul was a spiritual father to many. He was a spiritual father to Timothy, possibly because Timothy's father we know was Greek, which means he may not have been a believer in the one true God. And so when, when Paul referred to Timothy as my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, he goes on to say in another place, as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul was a spiritual father to Onesimus, a runaway slave. Remember that? We talked about him. He says, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Paul did not let the inconvenience of prison stop him from becoming a spiritual father to Onesimus, this runaway slave. There they are, both in chains. Might as well make the best use of my time. Let me mentor you, kid. Actually, but it's not a mentor. I will be a spiritual father to you. He made the most of his time there in prison by being a father to Onesimus. He was a father to Titus. He calls Titus a true son in the common faith. He was a father to Peter. Peter, uh, no, Peter was a father to Mark. Peter said this when he opened his epistle. The church here greets you, and so does Mark, my son in Christ. It wasn't his physical son, but his son in Christ. John, the beloved apostle, writes over and over again in his epistles, my little children, my little children, what he calls the people he's writing, the recipients of his letter. In 1984, he's a young boy. Well, there's a boy born in 1984. Never knew his dad. His dad was a criminal. His dad was in jail. He spent his childhood couch surfing with his mother, she partied a lot, didn't take very good care of her son. Parties continued late into the night, and police were sometimes called to investigate because mom liked to go out and oftentimes left her little boy to supervise himself. Often he chose not to go to school, spending his days immersed in video games, settling between the apartment, whatever apartment they were in that week, and a corner store where, the, where his mother's food stamps paid for his snacks. By the fourth grade, this young man had already spent two-thirds of his life essentially without a home, moving every few months with his mother from one apartment to the next. Eventually, mom went back to school, and he stayed with her grandmother and her mother, Frida, and they watched the boy until a few months later the grandmother died, and then on Christmas Day in 1987, the great-grandmother, Frida, died suddenly of a heart attack, and the family had completely instantly disintegrated. This young man was left alone after moving all his life from house to house until one day a youth football coach by the name of Frank Walker took this kid in into a house where he already had three kids and a wife. Became a father to him. Taught him to do chores. Made him scrub the bathroom every, every Saturday morning. Made him finish his homework before he could go to sports. This young man said that he finally had a real family. Who was he? Well, he went on to become the legendary basketball player, LeBron James. Because someone obeyed the voice of God, and decided to become a spiritual father to that young boy. In 1930, 
There was another boy born who had no father. His father was a criminal also in jail. His mother was an alcoholic, never really raised him, couldn't raise him being an alcoholic. And so for a time, he lived with an aunt and uncle. His mother eventually remarried and brought the boy back home where his stepfather beat him so badly that this young man left for the streets at age nine and turned to a life of gangs and petty crime. Eventually, he was caught stealing hubcaps, and his stepfather beat him so severely and threw him down a flight of stairs. He said, if you ever lay a hand on me again, I will kill you, the boy said. This young man not only suffered these domestic issues, but he had dyslexia, and he was partially deaf due to a childhood ear infection. At the age of 18, he joined the Marines, where his misbehavior continued, and he was demoted seven times and finally took an unauthorized leave of absence where he was caught and sentenced to 41 days in the brig. Eventually, he used his GI Bill to study acting, first in New York, then he moved to L.A., and he went on to become the world's highest-paid actor. But... Seeing as he still had no father, and he had that longing in his heart for the father he never knew, even as a successful, famous adult, he turned to cocaine and drinking and eventually was caught driving while intoxicated. He married three times, and one day, he decided to take up flying, and he hired a flying instructor by the name of Sammy Mason. This Sammy Mason was a spiritual father. To this young man. And one day during a flight instruction, this young man said, there's something about you, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about you. There's this peace about you, and I want to know what it is. And he said, well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a born-again Christian. So this father, this spiritual father, the flight instructor, Sammy Mason, literally, you could say, took this young man under his wing, brought him to church, where eventually this man gave his life to the Lord. And within a year, I mean, this was a long time of, 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 of father, spiritual fatherhood and getting to know the Lord through Sammy. And I think it was around the age of 50 that the great actor Steve McQueen gave his life to the Lord within a year of his death from lung cancer. Where would he be had not Sammy Mason seen himself as more than a flight instructor? This is just my job. I got to put up with this kid every day, clock out every day, and I don't have to think about him till tomorrow. Thank God Sammy Mason realized his calling in Christ Jesus. I am to be a spiritual father to this kid God has sent my way. Only by then it was a grown man. You're never too old to be a spiritual father and you're never too old to need a father. So I ask, where are the Frank Walkers and the Sammy Masons in the church? I wonder if these statistics that I read earlier could change if the church were to arise and the men in the church were to arise and recognize their God-given call to be spiritual fathers, 
and that will look very differently. Maybe it's through a job such as a flight instructor. Maybe it's through coaching. Maybe it's through bringing someone into your home. But maybe it just might start right there as we eat lunch on Sundays. Just by looking around and deciding, okay, I'm going to break out of my little comfort zone today and I'm going to look around and see who is sitting alone. Who needs someone to talk to? That's where it starts. It starts right here. We, the church, are called by God to change these statistics. And I believe we can. But why haven't we done this? Why aren't there fathers? Why was it that Paul had to tell the Corinthian church, you've got 10,000 instructors, but you don't have many fathers? I believe the answer lies in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 12, 1 John 2, verse 12. Here, John is speaking to men, and he's laying out three stages of spiritual growth. And, and he uses the word, he uses men because this is a patriarchal culture. It's the language of the day, but it applies to everyone. So we're not going to trip up over the language. This applies to all of us. But today I'm speaking to fathers and and he's, he's laying out three stages of spiritual maturity, I believe, here in this passage. So 1 John 2, 12, he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. When he says little children, he's speaking spiritually of those who are brand new, who are young in the faith, the new Christians. I write to you because what you know so far is that your sins are forgiven you. See, that's not enough. That's just the first stage in your spiritual growth. I'm forgiven. Yes. But God has so much more for us. So it goes on in verse 13. He says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. See, that's the goal. That is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not about all the stuff you're able to now do for God. There's a lot of spiritually immature people doing a lot of stuff for God. He says, if you want to know if you've become a father, if you have grown spiritually to full adulthood, you know it because you see someone who can say, I know him. I know him. I know him. I write to you, young men, and he kind of, this is, seems like it's a little bit out of order, he goes back to this kind of middle stage where now he speaks to young men. So this is in between little children and fathers. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You see this progression where first you know your sins are forgiven. Then you grow spiritually and you mature to the place where you can do spiritual warfare and you're an overcomer and you're starting to overcome those things in your life that Satan has tried to use to take you down and now you're an overcomer. Remember that sermon, forgiven but miserable? Now you're not just forgiven. You know, now you're no longer miserable because you are an overcomer. You are overcoming, but there's more. That's the young men. So he goes back again. He says again, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. See, he's saying this is what you need to move toward. 
start knowing the Father. Don't stay in that place where you're content to know that your sins are forgiven. Don't stay in that place where you are content to be able to pray against demons. And that's an amazing thing. Go on to know him. Verse 14 says, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So John is writing to fathers and his main point here, the end goal is saying, know him. If you really want to be a father, a spiritual father, know the father because how can you model the father if you don't know him? How can you model him to others? Know him. One of my favorite scenarios, scenes in the Bible, is John 21, after, after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, his disciples come ashore in their fishing boat. They've got this great catch of fish, and there's Jesus, the risen Lord. I love this scene probably because I love the ocean and I love seafood, and Jesus is there on the shore cooking this great breakfast. He's grilling fish right on the fire and it's, it's one of the last, it's probably like the final talk that he has with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Like these are his parting words. This is the last heart to heart that Jesus has with his disciples. And basically he says, and you can read this passage in John 21 on your own. I'm just going to tell you. We don't have to put it up there. Basically in that moment he says, do you love me? And he looks at Peter. He says, do you love me? Of course, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Of course you know I love you. He says, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, of course you know I love you. Tend my sheep. That's the call to the church. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. It's not just a call to pastors. It's a call to disciples to make more disciples. And men do that by becoming spiritual fathers. Now I want to spend these last few minutes talking to those who may be thinking, well, faith, that's great, but this message is not for me because I'm the one in need of a father. You don't know the loss I've endured and what I've had to be without, and I can't possibly even understand how to relate to God as Father because I never saw that. I believe that just as we sing this morning, his love cannot be overcome. His love is powerful enough to heal the human heart that's been wounded by fatherlessness. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be standing here today. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His love that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is powerful enough to raise you from a life of defeat and despair and discouragement and all the lies Satan has told you because of your daddy issues. His love is powerful enough to overcome.
He says in 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to fire off a few verses about God as Father. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, the last part, he says, I will be a father to you. I'm going to back up. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. In other words, get away from everything that's feeding your sense of fatherlessness, from the things that you are using to try to fill a void. Get away from that. Come out, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. John 14, 23. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, this is the God who just doesn't take you in. He wants to come and live with you. He wants to move inside your life and take up residence with you. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I'm going to close with this story. Maybe you're familiar with the evangelist Todd White. He's the guy with the dreads. Very powerful evangelist, very powerful man of God. He was in rehab, similar to the renovation house that we support, but it's much more well-known. He was in Teen Challenge, very rough past, probably absentee father. I don't know the story, but you know the statistics. So when he got out of rehab, when he came out of Teen Challenge, which is more than rehab, it's a ministry, he got converted, gave his life to Christ, and he comes across Dan Muller, who's, who, if you want to know about the Father's love, read your Bible, spend time with the Father, and listen to Dan Muller. <laughs> hey, he's got a, he, he just really gets it. He has such a powerful message about the Father's love. Anyway, he's a lot older, old enough to be Todd's dad. So Todd somehow got connected with Dan Muller, and he said, you're called to be my spiritual father. Like, I, I, need, I want you to be my spiritual father. And Dan Muller gave Todd White the most ironic answer but it was the best advice that a spiritual father could ever give a spiritual son. And this is what he said. He said, I can help you, Todd. But what you really need to know is that God is your father. Oh, yes, I know that, Todd said. Oh, I know. Our father who out in heaven. Yeah, I get that. But I want you, you to be my spiritual father. And this is what Dan responded verbatim. He said, Todd, the Bible says, call no one on earth your father, for you have one father, the Lord in heaven. That's Matthew 23, 9. He said, Todd, I can help you, and you can learn from me, but if you call me on the phone sometime and I don't answer, you might believe that you've been orphaned on the, uh, on the line, and it can put you in a bad place. But Todd, if you know if you know that God is your father, then you will never be an orphan. 
and you will always be a son. Todd says to Dan, well, then be my mentor. And Dan very wisely said, you're right in a way. Mentorship is important. But in another way, you're not right. Because if the Holy Spirit does not become your mentor, and if God does not become your heavenly father, the Christian life will never work for you. You have to know God as father and the Holy Spirit as mentor, your guide, your counselor. It's what he calls himself. He says, if you think you're lacking a spiritual father and a mentor, you're not actually lacking anything. You're just failing to see your created value and the reality of who God has created you to be. I'm going to say that again. Today, if you're sitting here, and if you think you're lacking a spiritual father or a father or a mentor, you're not actually lacking anything. You're just failing to see your created value and the reality of who God created you to be, and that would be because you don't know him as your heavenly father. He's more than enough. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough to make you enough. I'm going to close this morning, first of all, by praying. I'm going to close with two prayers. First, I'm going to pray for those who are still raising children in some form or fashion. I'm going to pray for the dads. And I'm also going to pray for those of you who you believe you hear this message and God is convicting you to be more of a spiritual father in his kingdom. If that's you, stand. We're going to pray for you. You stand. If you're a dad raising kids or, or any form of... any, any form of In fact, I, I want you to come forward. And, and the, we women, the rest of us, whoever's left, we're going to just gather around you and pray for you. So come on up, all the dads and would-be spiritual fathers. If God is speaking that to you today, I want to rise up. I want to be a spiritual father. I want my eyes to be open. Let's gather in. Squeeze in close. All right, now I'm going to ask for the prayer warriors. Mary Jo, Jean, Fran, Mary Taylor, my prayer warriors. Whoever else, if you're a prayer warrior, come on up. If you know you are, if you, if you can pray, come, don't wait for me to call your name. <laughs> Just come up. If you believe in the power of prayer, you've got the Holy Spirit, come up and help pray. Stand up here with me, prayer warriors. All right, we're going to pray for these fathers. We're going to pray for fathers. All right, let's just extend our hands. We're going to have, I'm going to pray one more time, one more prayer. If you're here today and you need a fresh revelation of the Father's love for you. We just bow our heads and close our eyes together. I don't want anyone to leave without this prayer today. This is for you. Oh, Father God, our Daddy in heaven, Abba Father, 
you know the wounded heart. You know the holes, the voids. You know about those who are hurting on this day. I pray in the name of Jesus for healing today that the Father's love would close every wound represented here this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray that that healing balm would just close every wound, heal every scar, and that today would be a day of birth into the Father's love. I am his child. I am loved more than I could ever be by any heavenly father, even the best, uh, um, any earthly father. Listen, the Lord wants you to know today, Father God wants you to know today that the best earthly father could not possibly love you as much as he loves you. And he wants you to begin to experience that love every day. He wants you to sit with him, not a religious duty, not a ritual. He wants you to sit with him and let him hold you every day. And if you will take time to do that, it'll change your life and it'll heal you. It'll heal your broken heart. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for healing every broken heart today, every heart that's been broken by a father I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that today there would be healing, total and complete healing. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You just take that with you today. You take that, you grab a hold of that, and you sit with that this week until it completely takes root sinks in. Father, we thank you for today.